Welcome to Finding Emo, our podcast where we discuss our favorite albums from the early aughts and thereabouts. I am Blake Fisher. I'm joined by Chris Monier and Kyle Simmons. And uh, we thank you for listening. It's, it's, we're happy that you're here. And we would love if you gave us a five-star review on iTunes or Why? rated or subscribed. Why should they? Services. Well, well, I can tell you. No, I've got this one, Chris guys. Can. So, Chris, please yes. tell us. So the the fat cats on Wall Street have shorted us mm. on our reviews. So they're Freaking betting against cats. you. Yeah. The only way that you can prove them wrong is if, if all as a group, you go in and collectively together give us five-star reviews. The only way good wins. That's right. That's and right. you can't ever sell those five-star reviews then or else <laughs> you're not <laughs> really sticking it to the Wall Street guys. <laughs> That's a good reason. Uh, so yeah, give us a five-star review. That'd be great. Uh, and you can, of course, subscribe on your little mobile device if you're not doing that already, because that's an easy way that they just show up. Uh, today, we are talking about Dashboard Confessionals, 2001 album, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. And uh, I did the research for this album, so I'm going to take it away, if that's all right, fellas. Yeah, take Please it away. Do. So uh, released March 20th, 2001 uh, on Vagrant Records. Um there was, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second, I guess. So we got Chris Caraba playing on it. Uh, Dan, I really don't know how to pronounce Dan's last, do you, you guys know how to pronounce it? It's, uh, well, hold on, what, Bona Breaky or Bone Break? I don't know. Oh, man, no clue. I have no it's idea. probably Italian, Bona Breaky. Bona Breaky. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Caraba. Caraba. That's Italian too, right? Um, and so, and Mike Marsh playing drums. So just the three of them on it, produced by James Paul Weisner, who also did Swiss Army Romance and also did Further Seems Forever's The Moon Is Down, so he's pretty familiar with working with them. Um, and let's go over timeline a little bit here, because it's important. We talked about this in the Further Seems Forever episode, but it's important to go over it again, because I'm still a little shocked by it. So spring of 2000, he releases Swiss Army Romance. Okay, this is a side project at the time because he's in Further Seems Forever. August of that same year, 2000, he announces he's leaving Further Seems Forever. October of 2000, he records The Moon is Down with Further Seems Forever. February of 2001, so this is less than six months after recording Further Seems Forever, they release this album. Or no, record this album in February. Release it in March. So pretty quick turnaround on the release and then 2000 December 2001 so impossible EP was released April 2002 Summer's Kiss EP December 2002 MTV unplugged so he has a pretty busy 2 years there i would say yeah Dude, that's insane that's intense yeah so i mean that's 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 three full length records recorded and released and really that all happens in one year you know, so two Swiss, two dashboard records, one Further Seems Forever album, all are recorded and released in that in one year, from spring two thousand to spring two thousand one. So, I mean, super busy, super busy year. So, in a couple years, you know, because that's kind of when all this happens. So, the story, and you know, this is a little hard to get straight because uh, they all have different things. But this is the best I can piece together from articles and Wikipedia and some other stuff. Wikipedia, wrong a lot of the times, we've realized. But yep. um, so uh, what happened is that drive Through licensed Swiss Army Romance from Fiddler Records because he was signed to Fiddler, they released it, but they really didn't have the resources and they were like to push it or whatever. So like drive Through licensed it because uh, the girl that owned... Fiddler, Amy Fleischer, uh, 
uh, I guess, you know, they worked out a thing with, with, with drive through at the time or whatever. And, but there was no contract with drive through at all. It was kind of like a distribution thing or something, but their logo was on the back of it and stuff too. Right. keep in mind. So Amy then, I guess, because Fiddler kind of folds or whatever, she goes to work for Vagrant and encourages Rich Egan to listen to the album and they sign them. And so drive through thinks this whole time, like they're getting the next dashboard record that this is like somehow part of it. Ooh. And I guess they're <laughs> pissed. Right. And, and yeah. Chris is like, we didn't have any kind of like, I mean, according to Chris, Caraba, there was no like agreement at all about the next record, and according and according to them, there is. So, and here's here's my opinion on it. Like for the you know millions of times artists have been screwed by labels for the last seventy years, I don't so much mind if an artist like is not locked down in that contract that they do the thing that works best for them. Yeah, love it. Because the truth is, I think Vagrant was the right move. Absolutely. You know. Um specifically for his music i don't know not that it wouldn't have fit on drive through or something either but so i don't know it's kind of like a there's different stories i've heard different ones kind of from the drive through point of view and from the other point of view so i you know i don't begrudge anyone i'm sure that they did kind of have a like oh we'll put it out and i'm sure they just thought it was like a good faith thing but i don't think it doesn't i can't he- I hear no story that like Chris went back on his word necessarily. Like no, and if, if there was a solid contract in place, they would have applied legal pressure, and it would have been. Yeah, apparently no, there was no contract. It's yeah. not like it was not solid. It's like it's an it easy problem exist. to solve in the courts, right? Like director goes, "Hey, no, he signed this contract. Here it is." <laughs> I was gonna say, you know what? It's an easy problem to solve with a contract. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that's so true. So anyway, so that's how that kind of whole thing goes down. It's like he's really, you know, on. Well, oddly enough, he's on three different labels in that one year, too, if you really want to he's break popular. that down. Three or four, technically. So I know. Um, just Who would have thought, um, you know, a handsome young man with the voice of an angel would be so popular? <laughs> who would have thunk? Just the uh, weird world so we live in. That's kind of how it goes down. Um, so that's a pretty quick turnaround between, between the first two records. And so... Um, and I don't know, I couldn't find anything about the story of like, when does he sign with Vagrant? And like, like, what's the timeline there? It, I mean, he records it in February and releases it in March. Like, I, that's not, that's like no lead time there. And he only, I don't know. So it's got to be in the fall or winter of 2000 that he signs with Vagrant, I would think. And um, so don't know the timing on that part, but it's all very fast uh, as far as how they did it. Obviously, there's two tracks on here that are also on Swiss Army Romance. Swiss Army Romance is his first full-length record, and it's just him. I don't think there's... Well, it's not just him, but it's just acoustic. There's no drums, bass, anything like that on it. Um, and uh, so this one has two full band versions of songs from that album. And, uh, and so... Um, you know, that's really it. Uh, this is another one of those. Chris, it's very strange how sometimes we find all the information on the, you know, in the world on one of these albums. And then this is one of those that there's not that much. And I think it's because, um, you know, it's not when you're, for all intents and purposes, this is kind of a debut record for him as far as like what it does, you know, with sales and, and kind of launching, you know, uh, his career and popularity and stuff. So maybe it's just that people aren't asking that question. People don't know you're making a record because they don't know who you are and stuff. Right. So, 
I don't know if that's the the cause of it, but so even though it's technically a sophomore record, um, but a sophomore record that came out a year after his uh, his first one, so uh, maybe that's just really fast and no one caught up yet. But either not a ton of information about it. So it's so wild that, because it doesn't seem to like. <clears throat> It doesn't seem to go with fandom. You know what I mean? Like, because we've done records with with just rabid fan bases. It's a specific kind of fan base. But I think it's like the sources. It's like just because you have the fan base doesn't mean that the press was after you. And that's the thing that we're going to look up 20 years later is like the press generally. You know, it's like you got to have some sort of like whatever. Oh, I see what you're saying. Book. Right. Yeah, um, the press saw him as the as the heir to a pasta throne that he is, <laughs> because his family owns Caravas, which is spelled differently. Uh huh. And right. and so they weren't paying attention to this, you know, Fact pretty check. much first attempt at music. Fact check, not necessarily true. <laughs> um, so no, let's the, just, I I saw in oh, someone my MySpace status. It's definitely true. It's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Um. If you look at I, his top eight friends, the restaurant, the, the ristorante, <laughs> restaurant. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, so let's jump into first impressions, uh, uh, Chris. If you would like to go and tell us about your uh, first impression of, you know, either Dashboard Confessional as a whole or the album. Oh man, I mean, this album was. I was in a very unusual place when I heard this record because I had just moved to Denver, Colorado after talking to a guy on, this is crazy. Like when I look back at this story, I met a guy in AOL instant messenger. He found out I owned a van wanted to, he's like, Oh, we want to go on tour. Like, but we don't have a van and they had a drummer. They're like, well, we will kick him out if you want to join the band. Cause he doesn't have a van. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And like, he never even heard me play. I literally like drove to Denver. I'd never seen this guy's face. Like, think about it. this is before the internet, right. right? Like as it is now. So I know this, th- sorry. Long <laughs> this is how short. people get killed. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Yeah. No, I drove all the way up there. I remember I took a left in uh, at Salina, uh, Kansas, and my uh, radiator started to go out. So I had to take my shirt off for the whole rest of the trip because I had to run the heater to keep the van from not going down anyway so i get there of course we're like you know hanging out for the first few weeks of meeting each other i'm like living in this guy's apartment and um we're like i'm telling him about how much i love saves a day i think they're the greatest band ever he's like oh have you heard of this band uh dashboard confessional and i this was may of 2001 so he played me the cd and i just could not believe it, it I, I don't know why i liked it so much it wasn't you know i wasn't into acoustic music or anything but um and then, you know, I'm from Oklahoma City, where at this time, n- bands never played. So I look up on the internet on Vagrant's website, and like three days after the first time I heard Dashboard, he was playing in Denver. So a few days after I heard this record, I went and saw him uh, open for uh, Alkaline Trio. And um, it, and that was the first show I ever went to. And I had never seen anything like this either, because this, this was like, when this record came out, you would go to his shows and everyone would sing along. He would just back away from the mic sometimes for like a whole verse or a whole chorus. Is it just him at this point, or is it the whole? No, band? he had the band. He had the, he had band, the band on the okay. store. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so after that, I fell absolutely in love and listened to this record like over and over and over. And when I flew back to Oklahoma, I played it for all my friends. Um, I think I probably played it for you, Blake, and probably anyone that would listen. I was like, everybody needs to I, buy this. Yeah, I'm a little fuzzy on some of that. I remember there was something to do with you, but I can't remember. And then that year, corners. Yeah, and then that year at Cornerstone, I also remember thinking this guy's going to be huge because at Cornerstone, which is a Christian music festival, 
um, because Further Seems Forever had been so popular in the Christian scene, everybody, like you would walk by camps and tents and everybody Everyone. was playing this record. Everybody. And every a-hole with a acoustic guitar was playing these songs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kyle, what about you? What's your first impression of uh, Dashboard and or the album? So I think we talk about it on the Further Seems Forever record uh, that we did, The Moon Is Down. Um, like, I, we were all big fans of that record. And so I was definitely curious about anything that this dude was going to leave what I thought was an incredible band for. Yeah. Um, I remember, I remember instantly liking it. And also it was like, I was begrudgingly liking it, like, because he was leaving my, one of my favorite bands and also just kind of like, who does this dude think he is that he's just going to play the guitar, the acoustic guitar and that's it. Um, also this is like a side note it, without context. What is the cover of this album? <laughs> like, I don't know. It, dude. So vagrant was, is like, it an ice tray album art? Uh, it looks like they're still in the experimentation phase. Yeah. I, I always <laughs> thought it was a like film, but you're right. It's not, is it? No. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, I, <laughs> I've never thought about it. I mean, it's always what is happening me. on this record cover. I um, mean, what, like there's a hook, like a coat hook behind it. <laughs> and maybe it's a silicone ice tray before there were silicone ice trays. So therefore it's an, it's a, what do they call it? An out of place artifact. Like what is going on? I mean, I always caught the, like that it's a, like pictures layered on top of each other to kind of make a picture. But I literally never thought about what was on the cover of this album. Like never. Okay. It's been 20 years. Oh. Yeah. 20 years since this album came out. And I literally cannot think of anything. Guys, oh, it's, it's driving I, me crazy. I, Reddit. Got, did you just Reddit, look it up? Reddit gave me the answer. Do you guys want to know what it. it is? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those slot electric slot car controllers. Like what? I don't know how to explain it. Like and and Blake, you'll have to put it in the notes. But it's okay. Uh, let me. Let, I'm going to show it to the guys here. I'll, on, I'll, on, on I'll reference the notes. Yes. The show notes. Once you, yeah, yeah. So I'm showing it to them. But like, if you ever had one of those old electric slot cars, oh, it's like the yeah. controller from it. And I guess it's a. Th it's like some sort of callback to, um, the uh, the toy race car tracks, which I guess was in the original video for Screaming Infidelities. Terrible angle. Um, okay, okay, so well, I mean, cool. hey, thanks for solving that. We've Chris. learned no new problem. things already on this podcast. We hope maybe you did too. It's just weird how, like, I don't pay enough attention. I pay, apparently no, no attention paid to album artwork. I never thought on about my it. side of thing. Well, okay, so aside from all of that, I, I liked it, and also I will say this, and I will even going back to this record the last uh two weeks, he he plays the guitar. And has a acoustic sound that is so distinct to him, um, and I don't know how he does it because I'm not an acoustic guitar player. But like, why does his guitar sound like dashboard confessional guitar? I know a little bit about that. All right, cool. If you would like to talk about that yeah. uh, before we get into first impression and whatnot, um, so he plays. Uh, I actually watched a rig rundown with him. Have you guys ever watched those on Premiere Guitars uh -huh. YouTube yeah. channel? They're great. They go over all the guitars and pedals and stuff that they have. Um, his he plays a couple old. Um, well, 
he has a couple of old Martins, but I guess they built him a Martin that's kind of this Frankenstein of a couple different other older guitars he has or whatever. Um, he does mostly a lot of open tunings, so he'll do like dadgad tuning or open D tuning and things like that. And I know for me at least in 2001, that's the first I hear of that. I've, I'd, you know, the most experimental tunings I'd had were drop D or whatever. Okay. Um, and which like Jimmy World plays in drop D all the time. Um, and, uh, drop D's are, where you, you know, tune the E string down, Just right? your low E yep. string is down to D and instead. Then, yeah, yeah. You hold everything like a bar yeah, when you're playing bar Exactly. Cool. Um, so I like open, guitars. open D is like, if he strums it without any fingers on it, it plays a D chord. So I can't remember what that is, but or some people play open E. And so he, he plays with a lot of open tunings. And I think the, he mentions on that rig rundown that he's influenced by like his biggest guitar influences are all bluegrass guys. So it's actually ah. like it's, one of them's like a guy. Um, I think it's Tony Rice. He died like last month. He's uh, like a famous bluegrass guitarist. And uh, the other guy, gosh, what's his name? Um, Norman Blake, which is like he's all over the um, uh, Oh Brother Where Art There Thou soundtrack. Okay. Um, so stuff like that. So he mentions all his influences are these guys that played kind of bluegrassy. He plays with a thumb pick most of the time, at least now. And this oh. rig rundown was from a little while back for sure. So he kind of does this either finger picking thing where he's got a, a pick on his thumb and he's picking like that. So like his top fingers are fingers hitting the strings, but his bottom one is a, is a pick. And then I guess he actually strums like that too. Most of the time, like okay. with a thumb pick as opposed to, and He's got this great quote, too, about how uh, he called it like his, uh, where is that thing where I wrote that down somewhere, like his heavy, basically the rhythm section, because when he starts doing this thing, this side project, he's opening for like Alkaline Trio, but he's literally, it's like him in a stool or something, playing acoustic guitar, which was kind of unheard of at the time. So he's kind of his own rhythm section. Like the guitar has to be everything other than his voice. And so... I'm guessing it's just a combination of that plus the punk rock influence. So I think if you're like yeah. influenced by punk rock, punk rock and bluegrass, this is kind of where you land. You know, it's kind of this, you know, some finger picking kind of stuff, open tuning, uh, and but sometimes he's strumming the absolute crap out of it too. Yeah, you know, totally. it's, and so I think that's kind of where it comes from. Ideally, and plus, honestly, there was a. As Chris, as Chris mentioned, it wasn't, it was new at the time as far as like, I'd never heard someone play the acoustic guitar like that, mostly like that hard. Like right. mm. it, it was like everything before that, you put an acoustic guitar in a song to be pretty. And I'm not saying he was completely original and nothing came before it. For me, like what I had heard people play, like when I heard, like I was huge into like Pete Yorn at the time, Ryan Adams, those guys played acoustic guitars but more of like the normal way you play an acoustic guitar. A lot of times in the mix, it's more like a shaker than it is, you know, as far as like, you're, it's really that high end that you're getting from it a lot of times. Right. Whereas like his was like this big sounding, well, mainly because it was the only thing, especially even on this record, it's it, all acoustic it, still. Exactly. Ten we're doing songs. Acoustic, all yeah, we're doing like basically three piece. I mean, he's doubling guitars and stuff, but there's no electric covering it up. So, it, I mean, it has to fill that whole kind of spectrum. And I think everything uh-huh. I... All the other acoustic music I'd listened before that was like, you know, James Taylor or, um, y- you know, w- where it's just a solo guitar. It's either really pretty finger picking like that or classical stuff. But I hadn't heard anyone just like bang away at a guitar like that. And and maybe I'm misremembering the 90s or something, but that didn't 
seem like a thing that was going on. So just um, days of the new. Oh, hey, I got to do it this time. Nineties bam. There you go. Well, <laughs> but so are we two thousand. Two thousand. Oh. Uh, uh, so anyway, so I mean, that's kind of I think why, and I think that's what also to kind of loop into my first impressions is that's what kind of caught me off guard is that like. Uh, every other solo artist, because you kind of could consider him a solo artist, you know, it's like once you, it's like Dashboard Confessional, but for a while it's just him, especially before this record. And so I just hadn't heard anyone bang around on a guitar like that. And it was like nice for me because I never practiced enough to be good like James Taylor <laughs> or something. And so it was kind of like, oh, I could do that. Like this is like a one man guy, you know, like one man band, like writing these songs. And like this feels like my kind of guitar stuff because I was like a rhythm electric guitarist. Um, and, and this felt like up my alley. And like I said, the open tuning stuff was, I was really into, and this kind of got me into that. So, I mean, I, I would say as far as like influence on me, not on the kind of songs I write necessarily, but like when I got really into writing songs, I was listening to, uh, a ton of, um, I was listening to a ton of Dashboard and Pete Yorn and Ryan Adams, um, and like Jimmy world and some stuff like that too. But I mean, those three solo guys were definitely like a gigantic reason I was writing anything. So, uh, had a pretty decent influence on me too. Chris, I think it was actually, uh, I think we've mentioned her on the podcast before. I think it was Callie that actually told me like, Oh, have you uh-huh. heard of dashboard confessional? I was like, well, I've heard of, but it was one of those things I hadn't thought anything. And then she said something about Chris Caraba and I was like, Oh wait, I mean, I had further seems forever. I didn't oh. know any of the stuff. I wasn't paying attention to that. He had left the band or anything. And so I was like, oh, well, I love Further Scenes Forever. So, yeah, I'm going to go get that. And I just went and bought the albums the next day without having even heard them. So, um, yeah, I was I was very impressed. It was unique. Uh, another thing I forgot to mention at the top of this. So this album is 10 songs and 29 minutes long. I can think of one other album that has that many songs on it that's shorter. And oddly enough, it came out the same week. Can you guys guess what it is? March of 2001. March of 2001. It's an it's an album that's shorter, shorter by one minute. Weezer's Green album. I I was gonna say Weezer. Oh, Dang it, that's so, crazy because I remember how excited I was for that album too at the yeah, same time, and they were the on exact Saturday same Live, time. and Will yep. Ferrell did the Shaker. Yep, on Island in the Sun, and uh, yeah, that one is twenty eight minutes. This one's twenty nine minutes. So um, short and to the point. Uh, for sure on both of those albums, uh, which is probably why I spun them over and over and over again is because like they were less than a half an hour long for a quote unquote full length album. Um, so Rivers middle finger to the music industry, which I kind of love. I, I love I, I've too. always liked the green album. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rivers stuck to the song format a little better than uh, Chris did. Chris is uh, not quite as uh, <laughs> on that Weezer. One. It was like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, Guitar solo that mimics the Mimics first the line first, and then <laughs> pre-chorus chorus uh, every time. So every single song in that whole record is the same, and I love it. Uh, so uh, that one is not the record we're talking about, though. So let's talk about this one. <laughs> um, the other thing um, that it, I liked about it was that it, like, I've always, I think I read it in some guitar magazine or something one time, but I was like, that is my philosophy is that a good song should be able to be stripped down to one instrument and a vocal and still be a good song. And so to me, all this stuff just fit that, you know, it fit that rule pretty well as far as that's all we had on the first album of his. And this one is still a lot driven by the acoustic. We've got drums and bass, but 
you can certainly hear how it's stripped down. Plus, it's a pretty good career move because he can go on tour by himself or with one other guy or a full band or whatever you want to do. You know, I think it's kind of a, a cool thing. So I know I, that, that was a cool part for me too. Like, um, like from a music industry perspective, like I, you could you could fly him out to do a show. You didn't mm-hmm. even need his band, so like you could do like a radio show. Like, hey, can you just? It reminds me of like all the EDM guys now. Like, they don't have to worry. He about He can this eat stuff. wherever he wants <laughs> in the van. Yeah. yeah, dude, he goes to Taco Bell and he doesn't have to worry about getting the party platter. He just orders the combo he wants. <laughs> yep. So he simple. Can. He can do it. Um, and so I think that's a pretty good move too, because I've seen him those different ways. I think I've seen him with just a guitar player. I've seen him full band. So. Uh, it's it's a cool way to do it too, and and like I said, no one was of the like rock and roll stuff I was listening to at the time. No one was like getting on a sitting on a stool and playing an acoustic guitar and singing their heart out like that that I had seen. It just wasn't, and I think that's why it ushered in so much of what came after it. You know, it's clearly it's one of those albums. It's in it's on most of the list of the top emo albums in the in the top you know twenty five or forty or whatever the list are, and those lists are authoritative right i mean like there's no other way to you can't, oh, yeah those are can't argue yeah, with them right the library of congress is they're scientifically those, yes. based on data i think um <laughs> nah, that's not true um so yeah that's kind of a little bit of the album um shall we jump into track by track let's do it hey we should mention uh the, you know how we had a joke sponsor not joke sponsor the last episode was sponsored but not paid for by Jimmy World. This one's sponsored by Zoom because you guys have no idea. About it. We spent an hour. We spent an hour trying to get our video stuff working on three other different video services and couldn't get it to go. So, uh, so Zoom actually saves the day as much as I crap on Zoom. Uh, Chris unfortunately feels like he's at work. <laughs> so yeah, no, no. I've already, uh, I've already asked Kyle if we could circle back on a topic and <laughs> send you an email. I'll CC you. Can we just book? Can we just put a? Uh, can we bookmark that and come? Yeah, back can we take this later? offline? Wait, We'll just take this offline, me and you, Kyle. Just, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're getting a little uh, heated here, guys. So let's kick off the with prize. track one, The Brilliant Dance. This is incredible, starving, insatiable. Yes, this is love for the first time. For the first time But this is the last time This is the last time Chris Monier, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on the first track of the album? Man, I, 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 this song always makes me feel like I'm on an airplane. It's just like the, this was the perfect album to put in your Discman, sl- click on that ESP protection and listen to on a, on a flight um because it's, you could get like six listens in on the flight to Denver. <laughs> that's true <laughs> yes uh but yes no i think um you know for for me this song is just it, it's really pretty i like that he starts off with um a song without you know any of the rhythm section instruments but it's still got yeah. a lot of elements like it's got some some ups and downs you've got the harmonics on the guitars um, he hits those high notes and, and you kind of get introduced to like, uh, you know, the cadence of his lyrics and his yeah. really interesting way he, uh, pulls words together. Um, it's, yeah, it's a good song. Really good song. 
I like that it's six eight and it like it it feels like it could almost be a further seems forever song. I mean, it's way more straight than a further seems oh. forever song as far as there's no. But like they do six eight a ton in further seems forever, so this felt really familiar. Like in a but in a in a new way for me having listened to further seems forever and then coming to this track, it's like oh I can I see where that I like this. It's like we're not abandoning everything that I've already liked about you um so i mean that was the first thing i probably noticed about it it's a good opening track and like i like a this is different than most of the first tracks we talk about in the sense that most of them are like we got to kick you in the throat uh Mm -hmm. to kick this thing off other than like table for glasses that's the other one i can think of that's like a a more ramp up into the album and this feels like that kind of style uh, as far as uh the first track on clarity it's like no we're gonna ease you into this thing uh as opposed to like you know kicking things off with uh you know all the other albums basically we've done <laughs> or like that kind of thing so i like the i like the slow intro sometimes it works yeah well. and I, I will oh, uh, sorry i did want to say one more thing that is is just that you get introduced right away to some like classic lines you know the clock is oh, blinking sure. eights breathing is yep. a foreign task i mean it's it, it, it's that, that the, some great lyrics in the song yeah i'll i'll yeah we'll talk more about lyrics for sure yeah, yeah, uh, kyle I'm what sure. are your what are your thoughts on the first track um, I love it. <clears throat> and I love the clip that you played. One of my favorite things about this, and, and I re- distinctly remember like listening to this and I'm sure all, if you guys could see us in our zoom call, like we're all like nodding our head, like this song is rocking and, and it's slow music, right? So like, this is acoustic music. You'd think that, I don't know, like young girls are swaying but it's it doesn't have that vibe, even though it's soft. You know what I mean? Like it's still he's still rocking out and he's delivering these words like he means them. And I think for me, when I was younger, I wasn't as drawn to slow stuff um, or right. soft stuff. And 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 I think it was because I believed, uh, you know, punk music. Like I could see the emotion behind it. It it wasn't. I I don't know. I think I thought the stuff like this was sappy. And so, um, this was the first dude that I was like, Whoa, he's like being vulnerable and he means what he's singing and he's like into this. And so it was kind of punk rock for me. And, and, um, in particular, like the part you just played, I love it. I'll bang my head to it every time. Yeah. Lyric wise, Chris, you're absolutely right. And we hadn't really talked about lyrics, but one track in is pretty good. Cause you're right. It's got a lot of that, like, uh, what's the line about like before you felt lost for the first time like mm-hmm. he's just really good at capturing how I'm 17 at the time and then it's like oh yeah that's exactly how I feel about that or whatever he uh, knows I feel me. like he was speaking for and I think this record eventually goes gold there's not a chance that actually only 500,000 people own this album this was everyone had a burn oh, copy of this dude. album there's no way <laughs> it was there's no way it wasn't 15 million people that had this record you know yeah. what i mean like there's just there's no way i mean as far as uh I think it was much more popular than any kind of charting or anything like that would. would they they had know. lightning in a bottle, though. I think that I think anyone working at Vagrant would be like, "Hey, let's just like let's not worry about this too much." And <laughs> oh, I think you're cash right. Yeah, but one. it does just make you go like, <laughs> like you wish there was another way to measure the popularity of a band like that in the early 2000s. Now, obviously, you don't have the sales, but like at least there's the streaming number on Spotify. Oh, and stuff, does anybody and have Napster see, download numbers? You know what I mean, like. No, no one has them because it's all peer to peer. So there's no like I don't know that anyone. Maybe Sean Parker had them. Maybe yeah. I mean the point is no one really I think has an idea of like we you really couldn't measure that for 
a gap of years there, kind of when really when all these bands we talk about are popular, like 2000 to 2007-ish. I mean, there's like, when does the iTunes store come in play? Is that 2006? No, it's and, either And way. even then, it's not super legitimate then. Well, it is. It's just not like getting, like, it's not, I don't think it overtakes the, like, yeah. the piracy part. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so, 2003. So it's just weird. There's no real, there's no real method to really measure this, even though it does go gold eventually, which is pretty big for an indie label back in the day, for sure. I mean, that's a big, big record. So uh, let's go to track two, Screaming Infidelities, which is the first single on the record, I believe. Right, guys? I should have probably known that, but here we go. Well, as for now, I'm gonna hear the saddest songs and sit alone and wonder how you're making out. But as for me, I wish that I was anywhere with anyone making out. Your Mike Marsh doing his Mike Marsh stuff. Uh, Kyle, what are your opinions on uh, Screaming Infidelities? Um, it's a it big kicks, one for him. It kicks butt. I mean, like it, it, like I said, I didn't want. I, it wasn't like it wasn't like other things in the scene that I didn't want to like. I just I didn't want this to be successful, so he could go back to further seams forever. You know what I <laughs> <Right>. mean? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't know that. He did eventually. It took him uh, yeah, that's 13 true. years or something. But yeah, eventually they do make another album together. But but so with that being said, it's not like I di- it's not like I didn't want to like it, you know what I mean, or or anything like that. So I I loved it. And this this song is still awesome. Um I love I love the uh there's like a second guitar part that he that he plays underneath and I don't know if it's on this version or another but I still hear it in my head while it's playing on this right. one and it it's freaking awesome. Yeah, so this is one of the tracks they do it does it's on Swiss Army Romance as well and this mm-hmm. is the full band version of it and they do change slightly like he sings the last chorus is different or repeats it differently. I can't remember exactly what the differences are. The thing I noticed up front is like this is the first song where we get the like kind of like we talked about it on the Take Back Sunday one and uh, what other episode that we talk about that with, but basically like the weird song structure, not the normal mm. thing. Yeah. So this thing goes verse, 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 and then chorus and then verse. And I guess it's really another verse. And then we go to that like chorus and then second chorus. So this thing has two choruses that are great in it. Everyone sings along to both of them. Uh, and, uh, so he does he does quite a bit of that on the rest of this album as far as it seems to kind of be a songwriting thing of his especially in these first two records of like if you really like try to chart out the song it's like an odd number of verses like it's not just like the normal like oh here's a verse and here's the second verse it's like we do three versions of that verse and then there's like a second set of choruses you know and this is kind of doing the same thing we talked about with Taking Back Sunday where he doesn't come back to that original as for now I'm gonna uh, whatever what the, what the lyrics are uh Going to hear the saddest songs and sit alone and wonder. And then he's got the Your Hair is Everywhere chorus at the end. So, um, you know, just interesting structure stuff. Uh, and again, something that as I'm just getting into songwriting, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I could maybe replicate that. And I did a lot of copying of stuff from him and some others at the time, for sure. So, uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on Screaming Infidelities? Um, well, I think 
this song was a lot trippier for the people that were into him with Swiss Army Romance because they brought the the full band in. But I do like how you know the first song there's no rhythm section yeah. in this song they kind of like like kind of slowly introduce the drums like it kind of like seeps in yeah. um and um uh, yeah and then of course got the classic lines and the classic chris caraba like i'm gonna do the chorus but like a whole octave higher and blow your right. mind with my <laughs> mighty mighty vocals um which yeah. always makes you like in the car you're like <laughs> i'm trying to sing <laughs> he and a couple other people are also responsible for me trying to sing higher and higher yeah. all the time when i was a kid yeah which was nice but uh i did stretch it but Blake, I, I'm super shocked that you didn't bring up the tidbit that I thought you would surely bring up, which was that Aaron Paul is in the music video for this song of Breaking you, Bad fame. Uh, I didn't know that, I don't think. I didn't realize that. What? I, yeah. I've guys. not looked at the video. Jesse Pinkman? In forever. Yeah. Mr. No White? Way. Yeah. Uh, I did not realize that. I mean, he would have been young lad. Pretty, a young lad then, I guess, yeah. Didn't know that. See, you had the tidbit there. Great I, well, tidbit. So, but you guys, Blake loves the show Breaking. I know everybody I loves do. Breaking Bad. He liked it before everybody. He literally was in on this thing before all you nerds ever heard I of this did. show. That's, that he was telling true. telling me about it when like the only way to watch it was like to, to actually have cable. Like you had, yeah, to you have, had to. I had, had to have AMC. Wa- I had to watch it. I had to record it at my parents' house because I didn't <laughs> yeah. have cable either. <laughs> he, he used TiVo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah, literally recorded it at my parents' house. Uh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Good, good to know. Uh, interesting tidbit for sure. What I a scoop, gonna... Chris! What? Uh, what a scoop! Way to go! <laughs> he scooped us twice. He told us what the cover was and that he should have just taken over the whole episode. Look at you! No, 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 no. This one I actually knew. The the other one I just looked it up. You did have read to look it. That I have read it to thank for that. Like you have the same like, I know resources what that is. we do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the best deceptions. I heard from someone that you. Set things right between us. Well, I guess I should have heard of that from you. I guess I should have heard of that from you. Well, don't you see? Don't you see that the charade is over? Chris, what are your thoughts on? the best deceptions just i just it still blows me away like all these years later how he like can make a chorus out of that changes the song out of those pieces of just guitars and his own vocals layering i mean you know in in this era like it was you know i mean almost all punk rock like oh here guys i got an idea we'll palm mute for the verse and then wait for it we'll open them up on the chorus like that was the only dynamic yeah, that was it that, that was in the trick. every kind of music that i listened to so it blew me away that he was able to make these beautiful dynamics out of that um obviously uh yeah this is a very pretty song plus i i, I think it's super cool that he's like oh i i, I giveth the drums and then i taketh away i taketh them away <laughs> yeah and he's doing most of that with his vocals too i mean right. like almost uh not entirely because he's strumming harder on the choruses too. But like, if you've got two instruments on a thing, I know they're layered and stuff. But for all intents and purposes, there is an there's acoustic guitar, there's vocal. If you want dynamics, you have to play a little different and sing a little different, and that's what he kind of does between the verses and the choruses here for sure. Because he's so quiet on the verses. Um, Kyle, thoughts on this track? Well, just to further what you're saying, like, also just the fact that he 
can do that with his vocal. I mean, we talked about it on the Jack's Mannequin record. Like, yeah, he can turn anything into a chorus. It's sure not hurting his case that he can sing really well. I mean, yep. I, I couldn't do that. Like, that's that my voice is not my instrument. And so, like, and my instrument's barely my instrument. <laughs> that's a great quote (laughs) this dude uh this dude can sing and i love i love that clip you played because i love that that chorus and is there like is this the song that has like the isn't there like a little bridgy part after what you just played the yeah that's so kiss me hard yeah 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 that part's really cool um i i freaking love his voice on that on that chorus that you just played. He sounds so cool. And he sounds so good stacked with himself. Like, yeah, you just got one of those voices. I mean, everybody sounds good with themselves, but he sounds real nice with himself. So. Yeah. And I think that he does like his voice. And we talked about this a little bit on the further one too. It's like, but he's got a good voice. He can sing. I like that his kind of dynamic range. We talked a lot about that on further is how he can go from quiet to kind of loud and, and, and sounds good doing both, but it's, it's not like it's a perfect voice either. It's not like it's like, does that make sense? It's not like the voice you hear sure. at a high school talent show it's, or something. No, like, and he's oh, got man, character too. Sing. But it's got a character to it, and yeah. it's like, and almost that's the like enticing thing about it is that it's like good, but it's not perfect all the time. Like I like that there's kind of you get the emotion, and it doesn't sound like he like sang the same thing twenty times to get the take. It sounds like yeah. it's really like performative, and I like it. And I think that that's one, one thing he's done pretty well on most of his records is like capturing that and i don't know what his magic is maybe he's like a one take person or maybe on the 10th take he can sound like that same as the first one or something but um but does just a good job of that and that was something that uh at the time we were kind of in like perfection land too like it's like you know everything in 2001 was like keep in mind like you know enemy of the state was the like was the punk rock like that was the where we're at. That's the bar for production and like yeah. perfection and stuff. And you know, even with other stuff, two thousand is still two thousand one is still Backstreet Boys in sync, all that kind of stuff. So I mean, everything is like super poppy. Everything's digital and and super perfect. Like we're kind of in that realm uh, in two thousand one. And so this was a refreshing kind of rawer thing, which is probably also what really attracted me to like the Pete Yorn music for the morning after record and that Ryan Adams Gold record is that they they felt like like a like a real kind of band uh, in a room kind of thing. And there, everything was kind of way more polished and I like polished stuff. I'm not, I'm a production guy, so I like really polished stuff, but sometimes it can suck the life out of mm-hmm. something or the, the feeling. And it, yeah, yeah. And this is a good example of something that didn't get that. And it's a good, there's all these arguments about like, should he have stayed just doing acoustic and nothing else all the time? You know, these kind of like dashboard purists that think he never should have had other instruments in there. I think that would have gotten old and tired after yeah. one and a half records, but this is a nice way of like easing into it. It's like, he's still half this record still doesn't have any drums or anything on it. So it's not going full into it. Um, but it was yeah. kind of like our generation's Dylan switching to electric or something. I was like, guys, this is not <laughs> like that big of a deal. He probably likes playing with a band. He doesn't want to play just by himself on stage for the rest of his career. It's funny that bands like this get to do that slow reveal like over the course of like half a decade like mumford and sons did that remember like the first time that guitar strum right it's like man that's a great idea just you know start off like just a jaw harp and vocals and then slowly add more (laughs) instruments over the course of a decade and then every album's a new adventure but like people (laughs) i just like how people freak out when someone becomes like you can't risk if you risk 
or you do risk getting pigeonholed into something if you do it for more than one album. That's just the case. Cause like same thing happened with Mumford we were talking about where it's like all of a sudden they're electric and people are like, I don't like the new stuff. Cause it's not like these two records that sounded the exact same. And so I think that he knew if he did this record all acoustic, it's like done. That's all you're mm-hmm. going to ever be expected to do. Right. Um, and I think that's a bad place to be in as an artist. So I think he did the right thing by doing, but I hadn't heard a like, an album just using acoustic instruments, essentially, you know, it's guitar, bass, drums, but no electric guitars. Like that was unique enough for this record for me. I didn't need the, just the acoustic guitar. I hadn't heard stuff that had a full band with only acoustics. Most stuff had electrics in it, you know? Um, anyway, let's go to this ruined puzzle. Gone, I get nothing. And you're off with barely a sigh. I never said goodbye But I've hidden a note It's pressed between pages That you've marked to find your way back It says, does he ever get the girl? But I've hidden a Kyle, note. what are your thoughts on this ruined puzzle? So um, I like this song and I'm going to say that up front, but I'm also going to go into, I laugh every time because I think this is the worst first lyrics of any song ever. The ruined puzzle. I don't even remember them. The ruined puzzle is beige. That's the first line to this song. The ruined puzzle puzzle is beige. There are people in the United States that have that tattooed on them. Probably. No, probably not. (laughs) Don't say that. Surely that's not the, this uh, ruined yeah. puzzle is beige, and he doubled down on it. And was like, you know what? I'm naming this song. Yeah, this but ruined it's because puzzle. all the pieces are face down. I agree. Does that it's bother ju- you still? It's with the still beige. It's that's still like cardboard color. I mean, is that I beige? Well, that's beige my thing. And also colorish. Yeah. And also, it's I mean, not I call it tan or whatever. But it's not. It, the thing is, if it's if it's beige because it's face down, then it's not beige because it's ruined. You know what I mean? No, exactly. Just flip it over, Chris. Right. Chris, <laughs> Christopher. <laughs> so I don't know. I love the song and everything after that, but every time the song starts, I'm like, "Really, dude? That's like how? That's how you wanted to start this? This ruined puzzle is beige." It that never bothered the, me, I guess, because of the next line about it being upside down, and so that it's made sense. The to me. most boring See, sentence. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> That's funny because I was literally going to brag the on these lyrics. Like, sucks. <laughs> I love the lyrics of this song just because they like he's. Uh, we mentioned on the further episode, it's like he's so good at like drawing a picture for you. Totally, this thing that's like it's not vague. Like you can no. you can tell what's going on, but it's not so on the nose that it's boring either. Like it's like oh, I like the way that you like the you I mean, pressing the note between the pages and she never reads it and like. Like, that's a fun little story that he told us about really, like, nothing significant happened necessarily, he, but I like it. Hey, he starts to soar after that, but honestly, there's no way to go but up after that, in my opinion. Like, that's a pretty horrible line. This ruined puzzle is beige. That is boring as crap. I'll accept that. Chris, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this ruined puzzle? Is it ruined well, for you now? Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, so now that the song's ruined for me, like, did Kyle ruin this ruined puzzle, or is this song just a ruined puzzle? Oh boy, that's is it beige? Yeah. Uh, well, no. I, I I posed this question on Twitter once, and I thought it was the funniest tweet that I'd ever done, and no one else thought it was that funny. 
and I'm going to say it now again because I want Kyle to laugh. <laughs> you just or described you Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> I said if you're going, if you're driving to Texas to see the band, Texas is the reason, and someone says, why, why are you going to Texas? Then do you say Texas is the reason? Or do you say Texas is the reason is the reason? Ooh. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty solid. Uh, um, I will say oh go ahead. You were still talking that, about lyrics or something. Oh sorry. Well no, I was just gonna say, can 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 I just say that for a low budget album, this album this song right here alone proves to the Taking Back Sunday guys that you can have pretty yep. sounding strings on a low thought. budget. My That's God. true. I couldn't find the budget for it, but it was it couldn't have been a lot. I'm pretty sure they were the first stories that they recorded this in, in like in an apartment. Yeah, I thought I thought about I thought about those boys when when those strings came in. Now, to be fair, it's a lot easier, and so maybe the acoustic is the limitation. Like, I mean, honestly, maybe he wanted to go electric on this one and didn't because the limitation of recording budget. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier to get an acoustic to sound good than it is to get, like, acoustic and electric. You know what I mean? Like, the bigger the band gets, more overdubs, things like that. So I'd be curious to know okay. if, like, what the if, – if this was a constraint. Because, you know, it's harder for to make a rock band sound good, like Taking Back Sunday, on the same budget. But uh, – I think you're right. It's the better choice, but you can't do that for taking back Sunday. Uh, funny lyrical thing though, the lyric about, and you're off with barely a sigh. I all for like 10 years, I thought that said you're off with Benny or sigh, like two guys <laughs> names. <laughs> I was like, what a hussy. She's off with two other guys, man. That's a lot. And then my, eventually, I eventually also, like one. <laughs> and at Cy, your age, like, you, you know should anyone, be going by Ben, man. Do you know anyone named Cy? I don't know a single Cy, but I know Duck Dynasty. You thought, like, you, like, you'd never occur to you, like, wait, no one's named Cy <laughs> except that baseball player from like the 30s. Right, yeah, or exactly. Maybe that's Cy what, Cobb. And eventually I heard, and I was Cy like, Young. oh, wait, that's barely a Cy. Got it. Okay, I just heard it wrong. It was a misheard lyric for forever, but that's that shows how little I really think about lyrics sometimes is that, like, I just thought nothing of that. Like, oh, Benny? I don't know Benny either. <laughs> and the Jets? Uh, is that who we're talking about? Not one of uh, us has talked about the musical qualities of this song. It's a great no, song. We have. I said it's a good song, and we talked oh, we about did I that. love okay. the lyrics. Yeah. All right, let's go to Saints and Sailors. Uh, this one, we pick it up. We got the, we got the drums back. That I'm getting any better, any better. Waiting here with hopes the phone will ring, and I'm thinking awful things. Pretty sure that you would notice. And this apartment is starving for an argument, anything at all to break the silence. Wondering this house like I've never wanted out, and this is about as social as I get now. Chris Monier, since you were air drumming, let's go to you first and talk about Saints and Sailors and tell us what you think about it. I think this I think this album has some of the best drumming ever. I thought you'd probably say that, which is why I, I mean, went to you. I mean, it's just the the way the way that Mike plays drums on this record and the fact that like he wasn't famous already. It's just the way he works with uh, you know, the uh guitar parts, you know, the rhythms how they all work together. Just tremendous. I I absolutely adore the drumming on this record and this song is great and it always reminds me of my wife because of the cursing like a sailor my wife has a absolute potty mouth and anyone knows her knows that's true i'm sure my, my, my 
pretty certain my first, but, but some of my boys' first words are not going to be great. I'm scared <laughs> for the daycare to send me an email. Um, we're pretty sure your son Rivers said this word today. Oh, he says a word that sounds like that, but no, I don't. I don't think that. We don't talk like that. Uh, in yeah, our home. no, no, not not in our never. home. No, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love the drums. I mean, I think the drums make this song, and I think that you can just tell that these songs are written on an acoustic guitar with Chris, and they're, and then he's trying to fit drums into them, and it's not like they wrote it as a band. I assume that's, I mean, it just sounds I, I've like always thought happened, the same sure. thing, yes. And yes. he just makes it work. He's changing, yeah. it's not like it's changing time signatures, but that change between that kind of bouncy verse thing, especially into that last chorus where it goes into the, the halftime. It's just a cool change. And I think it was probably brought on by, I bet Chris just did that with his hand again. He was basically his own rhythm section. So if right. you wanted to change the rhythm of, of the song, you had to drastically change the, str- the, the strumming structure of it. Strumming yep. structure is hard to say. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but Mike Marsh does a great job and I really like his drumming. It's like, it's cool it's got complicated stuff going on in it. Sometimes he's busy, but without being like obnoxious about it. Like absolutely. And you're a three piece. You can be a little more obnoxious. There's what, there's a lot of space there. The production too is, uh, I'm not good with production words like you are Blake, but like there's like a, well, no, I just mean like there's like kind of a flat dry quality to the drums. You know, oh, it sounds like you're ne- like in the room with them. It sounds like yeah, you're in a small like living room. You can room hear the cracks them. and the sizzles. Like, like it's not like Barker's drums on Enema State, where like the bass, right? You know, is like, Goom! you know, it's just like he also did that in like a million dollar room. You know, Travis Barker did. I'm sure. I mean, it was like you know, yeah, but I, I think and like the, this is like more intimate. I feel like, but it it worked. It, that's what needed. Yes. To be. That's what it needs oh, to yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I like the drum sounds on this record. In fact, like I've always kind of liked this record and. Uh, Jimmy World Clarity, and there's a there's a handful of other ones that are kind of like I think Hot Rod Circuit's another one that had a great kind of drum sound on that. Um, Chris that sings on one, well, Chris sings on one of those songs. Yeah, these those yeah they're all trading sounds, ideas. Yeah, but they had a great like room kind of feel, like just kind of feels like you're in like a, a someone's like living room with wood floors. Like it doesn't sound like a million dollar studio. It doesn't sound like a church. It doesn't sound like you know like a super reverberation. It's just like oh, it feels like really nice and tight. And I like the uh, and it, I love that kind of drum sound. So I'm all I'm with you on that. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts? Oh, actually, oh, sorry. Before we go to Kyle's thoughts, let me tell you again. Weird song structure stuff that goes on in this one. If you if you give each part of this song like a, a label so like a b c d or whatever the structure of this song is a b c b and b and c are really the same thing but with different lyrics so call that a verse or a chorus or whatever you want to call it so a b c b and then um c or sorry a b c b d e b d it's like the, he doesn't really repeat anything there's technically five different parts of this song so that's not your normal like you know, verse, chorus, pre, you know, pre-chorus bridge. I mean, there's like five parts and none of them are pre-choruses. It's so it's hard to know what the chorus is. I kind of feel like the chorus is what he starts with, but it's not really, but it's like as good as a chorus, even if it counts as a verse. So I'm curious, like, what would he call all these parts? Like if he's like, and then we go to the verse, I'd be like, what is the verse? If I was like in his band, but it works and it's all two minutes long too. It's crazy. Anyway, Kyle, what are your what are your thoughts on Saints and Sailors now that I've uh, rambled about the structure of it? <laughs> I I'll be short and sweet. I really like it. I really like the groove and as far as lyrics go, he totally redeemed himself. I freaking love and this apartment is starving for an argument. That is yep. just 
Mm-hmm. That is a killer line. So way his to go, alliter- Chris. His alliteration is so good too. He's it, like yeah. it's one of his best lyrical qualities. So waiting here uh, in hopes the phone will ring, and I'm thinking awful things. Like it's almost Doctor yep. Seussish. Yeah, w- it doesn't sound cheesy ever. Like I, as yep. far as like the way he does stuff, it's not. I just I've, I've always really liked his alliteration. It's something I've gone yep. like, oh, that's a neat thing to think about. Is like you know describe things oddly, like use an adjective form that you wouldn't normally use, like like an an apartment starving is a great example of like, that's not a thing that you would ever. Apartments uh, are people. <laughs> what? what is he saying? Well, and starting for an back. argument too. It's just like, again, a starving <laughs> argument. There's the alliteration there. I mean, I just, I, he's really clever with that stuff. Uh, no, he's, yeah. He's, Wasn't he like an English teacher or something like that? No, his teach. family actually owned an Italian restaurant, Chris. <laughs> He was a teacher. I don't know if it was English or not, but I know he was a teacher uh, in Florida uh, at some level. I don't know if it was like subbing. I mean, I subbed. He but taught people he taught. how to make delicious Italian food <laughs> at the family restaurant. Yeah, he did write a lot of recipes at the <laughs> Italian ristorante. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Dude, also... So- like- Sorry, I know. Yeah, I, go I, on. I hate to add one thing, but the video for this song is so freaking cool. It they is very one cool. take, and I just I love it. I love it is a very song. cool video. We'll, totally. We'll and one more thing, Italian. <laughs> we'll, we'll link to the one video. more thing. A pizza pie. <laughs> here's a stromboli. Here's the good fight. I begged you, I pleaded, left you as my only hope, and watched the floor as you retreated. Kyle, what are your thoughts on the good fight? Uh, I really like this one. It's, it, I mean, it's, I know it's not, but it is punk rock to me. And that part note. that you played, like, it, it, he's freaking going off on this one. So it's, no, if it's, you put an electric guitar on this, yeah. you don't even have to speed it up. It is like, it's a punk song. Like, yep. um, if it's just an electric, crunchy guitar and he's palm muting on it, it really I also, is. you're talking about the way that he writes lyrics and the way that he sings them. I really love that. The way that he structures the I begged you not to go, beg I begged you, I pleaded. Like I yep. freaking love that with the with the melody and the music. It's just and Tomville. Yes. It's yeah. freaking awesome. So Yeah, it's a it's great a it's a rock me. song, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Lightning in a bottle. Open you know, Blake, you talked about the alliteration, the opening lines of the song. Consider the odds, consider the obvious. This martyr is meaningless. Come on. It's very That's, cool freaking brilliant man this is lightning in a bottle like they could they just had to have looked around at each other while they're making this record be like dude this is like pretty it's pretty good right it's pretty good (laughs) yeah (laughs) well yeah i mean i think that they i mean this uh this amy girl obviously knew what she was doing (laughs) should have signed a contract richard and stephanie they ended up fine i think yeah they Um, did all right yeah, every yeah, every right. drive-through band probably paid dearly for this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> locking you down. Sign with blood. <laughs> this is how. Oh man, yeah. I mean, I bet they. I bet they, when you think you think they had a lawyer that was like, "I told you, idiots." I don't know. Like, don't ever. Anyway, let's go to standard lines. 
Let's make it a point to And your taste still lingers on my lips Like it just leaks them upon yours And I starve I starve for you But this new diet's a liquid And dulling to the senses And it's crude But it will do I don't play it on that clip, but at the end of this song, I mean, I've, I think I actually stole the last like chord, maybe <laughs> like the chord and the way it slows down and he strums it. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure I stole that for two different songs. So guilty. Uh, Chris, what are your <laughs> thoughts on standard lines? It doesn't make it bad, but it's my least favorite song on the record. It's just, it, it, just for me, it, it was always one that I was like, yeah, you know, that's and I gotta admit, it's because the next song is one of my favorite songs. Of all it is freaking sandwiched time. between so two I can't, really good songs. Right, I can't help but just like get antsy, like wanting for the next song. But um, uh, you know, another another emo rock star from the early two thousands with the with the alcohol call out. And I, you know, we got the uh, well, I'm assuming that's what the liquid diet is. Unless uh, yeah, really, this new diet, really liquid. hydrated dude, yeah. Yeah, unless he was just on an actual, like, you know, juice cleanse. Or red wine. Mm, From the family restaurant. (laughs) A little vino. (laughs) Kyle, what are your thoughts on standard lines? Um, I mean, I agree. Like, it it doesn't make it bad, but I would say that if it's possible on on an album full of slow songs to have a lull, then this is it. You know, like, this, this is the... This is the one that I'm I'm not as into, but I do the part that you guys mentioned the lyrics about the liquid diet. Like he's he's not pleased with whoever he's singing at on this one, and I kind of dig I kind of dig that. But you know, it's it's I, and that's about it for me. It, I mean, this sounds like the most Swiss Army Romance of all the tunes on this record. It makes me wonder like where he wrote this in order. I mean, like, keep in mind all of this all happened in a year, so all right next to each other it's not like any of these songs are years older than the others but it does feel like i mean i think mostly the way we feel about it is because it's sandwiched between two bangers i mean it's like they're really good songs and they're the they're up tempo and they've got the the drums and everything that, that are awesome in them too and this feels like a lull in between them but i feel like if i threw this in the middle of swiss army romance i wouldn't not like it i don't no. know but um, but I'm kind of with you. It is, it's hard to be sandwiched between these two songs. So let's just go to that next song that we uh, talked about, which is again, I go unnoticed, which is the other one that was on Swiss army romance, but this is the full band version. So what's another day when I can't bear these nights of thoughts of going on without you. This mood of yours is temporary. It seems with weight to see a smile again. Out of the corner of your eye won't be Chris, let's go to you. What do you think about again? I go and notice that you didn't already say about it being awesome. Well, I just love this song so much. It is very um, good. I I still don't know what in God's holy name he's doing on those drums. <laughs> it's been twenty years. I cannot figure out how to play this song. It's just so. It's like a fast train beat, essentially. I know, but it's just yeah. it, his brain thinks about rhythms and 
Uh, and I'm talking about the drummer, but it, yeah, it, Mike. It, 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 yeah, the, the Mike, Michael. um, that I, I don't know. I, I, I had never, I had never heard something so incredible in my whole life when, until I heard this song, I, I listened to, I must've listened to it 20 times in a row. I was just aghast. I was so blown away by how magical the song was. And this yeah, was the song that like when I was time. introducing the people to the band, I would like click this song and be like, and then I'll, I went and we'll, I'll talk about the next thing that I would play people, but I would be like, you're going to fall in love. I promise. Listen to this. Um, yeah, it's very yeah, good. Magical uh, song. Magical. Mike did a great job of fitting drums into a song that like really was a lot like this already as far as on, on Swiss army romance and just that driving guitar and stuff and made it, um, made it dynamic and made it, I, I love the end. I mean, I, like the end, that's why I picked that. First of all, it's, I think like the only song with a real bridge on the whole thing. You guys know, I like bridges obviously. So I, I mm-hmm. went for that part. Uh, yeah, very cool. Drums are awesome. And, and, you know, I don't know what the typical feelings with dashboard fans is. If they like one version or the other better, I like them both a lot, but to me, Mike's drums just like make, take it up a level on the, on this version of it. So I'm, I'm for the band thing and less uh, the purity or whatever you want to call Swiss army romance, but uh great, great tune. Kyle uh, thoughts on again, I go unnoticed. So I agree with you. I think if dude wasn't, if, if Michael wasn't tearing it up on the drums the way that he is, then I probably wouldn't, wouldn't prefer this one. You know, like I'd be like, uh, the original is better, but man, he's just killing it. Uh, I also really like those, those, um, secondary, like the background vocals, the lower vocals. I think those are cool, but I also like that. Like, I like that this one is, you know, this is his wordy song. It's, it's got quite a few words in it and, and he's, he's kind of going off. So yeah, I really dig this song. Love the television steals the conversation line. Yep. Love the uh, closed lift. Another good night kiss is robbed of all its passion line. Um, what's the other one that I love? I can't read your rolling eyes. I mean, it's got so many good lines in it. And, and a good one. I think you'd be lucky to get one of those good lines in a song most of the time. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. like, and and he gets them and literally in every stanza. There's one of them. So well, and the, it's so cool the way he opens and closes it with the same grouping mm-hmm. of lyrics i mean it, 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 like i would if i was writing a song i did that i was like i'm such a lazy jerk for doing this but it, it's it it bookends everything so well it's perfect yeah and it's a verse technically i that's mean right. like i guess again yeah. you got a weird structure thing it's like verse which that's the country thing to do for sure is to do that first half of the verse sometimes or the first line of the verse but he does the whole thing yeah so you know because i would consider please tell me you're just feeling tired as the chorus that feels chorusy to me um because he says the same thing a couple of times. Um, gosh, it's good though. Yeah. Really good song. Let's go to the places you've come to fear the most. The title track of the album. And you can't make it hard enough to please everyone. Ready one at all. Ready one at all. The grave that you refuse to leave. The refuge that you built to flee. The places that you've come to fear the most. I bet we all have the same note. This is me hedging on that we all have the same note, but I'm going to go to Kyle first. And oh, see what man, his notes are you're putting the, the pressure on me. Famous. I'm putting the pressure on you. I could be wrong, but I'm going to see what we say. Is the note that uh, 
You like that he's screaming and going for it? <laughs> well, that's one. That would be one thing. It's not the thing I was thinking of, but yes, for sure. I mean, like you go talking about raw vocals, like this yeah. is that. I mean, it sounds like he's giving it his all, and I love that. Like, and and he does that live, and uh, it's great. It, that's not the one. So keep going. Let's see if we get there. Is your note that um, the lyrics are really good? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking something less obvious. We said that on like every song. But, oh, oh, yeah. was it? Um, was it that? He, uh, yeah, that this is a good one. Uh, that's not it either. <laughs> so let's see Man. if Chris has the note. Sorry, guys, we're a little punchy. It took us a full hour to just see <laughs> each other. It's like Chris, six what in you... the morning. <laughs> Chris, let's see if you have the note. Chris, what's your your places you've come to hear the most notes? This is Blake. I have no freaking clue uh, what you're getting at. Um, okay. I, 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 so first, I do want to say that like every time I would play this song, like if you could, if you guys could see me out in podcast land, like I, I remember like I would play play it, and then when the high part come, I'd be like, uh, wait, yep. wait, 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 and then I would be so excited for them to hear that part because that was the the just that was like the big reveal. Like, okay, this guy can really really sing. Um, so your just, note was like mine. Blake, you're yeah, yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah Blake. Oh, so, okay, Blake. so you guys had the same note. My note was that I no thought idea. we'd all say that this should have been the last track. Oh, oh well, yes, yes, obviously. Yes. Come on. Oh, you tricked me. Well, see, I, I, I felt get, tricked I wasn't going to say that till the next song I was going to okay, talk about. Okay, so that makes yes. sense. Yeah, just like the, I mean, how do you no, not go to that screaming part no, and make that the end of the album? Completely agree. Yes, Dude, not I thought... I thought I was supposed to notice something about the song that no. you noticed. No, just that it should have been the last track. One third word is meow. <laughs> did not yeah. know that uh well with that being said let's go to the bitter <laughs> pill and then we'll talk about why these two should have been switched all right and you say take this this medicine is just what you deserve swallow choke and die and this bitter It's like this song's not bad. It's fine. If it would have been in the middle of the record, I'd been okay with it. But like the places you've come to fear the most should have been the last track. And if that means that means cutting this song, fine. I mean, I know we're already a twenty nine minute album, <laughs> Get rid of it. but there's lots of great nine song <laughs> albums. There's you know Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic, Billy Joel, The Stranger. Uh, there's there's a lot of good nine song albums. Just do uh, Peter Gabriel. So you know, it's like you can make a nine song record. Uh, I just love the way places you've come to fear the most. Ends and this this just feels like a it's leveling the off of it. Too, like yep. it's the name totally. of the album. It's a perfect God. ending track. I just I want to know. Maybe you just had to get the ten. I get no. I get why they ended it with this song. Like I get the thought process. Like with that the scrapey screechy like reaching for it. Yeah, I, I do. I, I totally. But... I see it. They just like they completely blew it. Wrong call. Yeah. I yeah. So that's the note that I thought we would all have. But I'm sorry. I I I pulled the trigger too early and I thought no, jumped no. again on the first song, but. Um. Yeah, I think it should have. Uh, place you come from us should have been last. Uh, we had no say in the matter. Obviously, um, we should just we should rent out our services, like be professional consultants for track order. Well, yeah, or we, or even just last two. Like I don't need to hear what you got <laughs> just, going on. 
Let me hear <laughs> the last two songs. We, we're a consulting nope. company, and all we do is tell you if you should switch or keep the order of the last two songs. Yeah, that's I, that would be so niche, but like that might work. Um, yep. Well, people don't even not niche, niche. It's niche, but not niche. Not the yeah. guy. Yep. But uh, yeah, that would be. I feel like that's our. We're pretty good at that collectively, though. Although I'm not good at doing track orders on my own albums. That that drives me nuts. But, but you so could, dude. If this your was babies. your album, you could. But if this was your album, you could have. Yeah, heard I would have like. And and also, Chris, the first you said and it, last track I can do. It's the middle stuff the, that's the, hard. But you said this, Chris, and I think it's so weird. Like. It's it's not like he had, you know, this is the title track. He left it to the second to last song. So it's not like it's too far into the record. I mean, it's already deep into the record. Just let it be the last one. And also, I I actually like the last song. I just I'm fine with don't it. think it, it should be the last song. Yeah, it's yeah. a great song. No, and I'm the clip yet. you played is great. I love how it builds and it's and he gets going. Yeah, uh, but like we unfortunately man. end up crapping on the song and it's not that the song's bad. It just doesn't work. Like it, in my opinion, there's just like there are opening tracks, there are ending tracks, and I really love when an album has good bookends on a record. I want yep. the rest of the stuff to be good too, but God, you should that those two things. And I just feel like there's a lot of albums that are like my favorite albums, except for the last track. I'm like, God, I just wish that was somewhere else in the album where we. Just, like, yeah, they blew they just, blew it on this one. Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm with you on that. Um, well, let's go to kind of lasting impressions and whatnot. Do you guys think it holds up? Not as well as I thought it would. When I went back and listened to it, I was like, it didn't capture my emotions as much as it used to. But I, I still think it's a great record. But, you know, it, it just wasn't the same. There was something about that time in that era. Um, it's great. It's still great. I, I'm not I'm not disparaging it at all. I'm just saying, like, there's some albums that I've gone back and listened to, and, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This one, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. <laughs> but it feels like the period of time. To me, yes, correct. Like Two thousand one. Whereas, like, I don't know if that's a bad thing necessarily. Because, huh. but, but what I think of, like, when I think of something, it just makes me think of a specific time. Two thousand one. I think it's only my nostalgia then that's keeping me to it. Like, I wonder. Like, I guess the the best litmus test for me now is like I've got cousins that are twenty two, so they're quite a bit younger than me. Yeah, what do you think? And of this? so. You know, often I'm introducing them to bands that like I was a fan of when they were two, you know, or whatever. And so that's a really good way to get like an idea of what like does this sound old? Does this sound like do you like this? Is this as fresh to you now as it was to me in 2001? Uh, so maybe I should try dashboard with uh, a couple of those cousins and see what they think. It it would be interesting. Or my kids are kind of the other litmus test too. It's like sometimes you play them something they love it. They don't care when it came from. They wouldn't know. Um, we were playing this record the other day, which is one of the few records I can put on downstairs, and Elise is singing along to the whole thing because, like I said, everyone had this in two thousand one. Um, but, uh, so maybe I'll try it with the kids and cousins and maybe I'll get back to you, but I kind of, I agree. It feels, it feels more like 2001. So it feels a little pigeonholed, um, maybe, but, and I do think he has better records, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. even though this is a good one. Um, Kyle, you on the kind of same boat as far as holding up? Absolutely. And I also think that something that can't, that like n- nobody that would listen to it now would get out of context 
is that we use the word, or I did, I think you guys did too. We use the word punk a couple of times while talking about this. And like at the time, it was just a punk rock move for this dude to leave the band that he was in and to be playing the acoustic guitar and singing by himself. No one was doing that. No. Yeah, no, it was so freaking cool. It was punk rock. It was an act of rebellion. Like, dude, this guy is making it against all the odds. Like, what is he doing? And, And also... Another thing that's weird for me about dashboard is like, there's never been another dashboard. You know what I mean? Like I've never heard, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it from anybody else. Like if I, if I walked into a place and a dude was just playing his acoustic guitar, I'd, I probably, (laughs) yeah, I'd flip him off. (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay them, him the attention, even that they deserved, you know what I mean? Just because I wouldn't be interested in it. But at the time it was like, it really felt like a form of rebellion. He he put out this great record with a band and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to play the acoustic guitar and I'm going to sing. And also, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier not i'm gonna throw this out there but like the whole dashboard confessional idea was that initially no one was supposed to ever hear these songs when he started dashboard the reason he called it dashboard confessional because it was between him the dashboard of his guitar of his car and god like those were the only people that were going to hear the songs and that's where that's where that name came from and it's like you can't you don't get any of that from just listening to it now you know what i mean that's true and you don't. And now we've had a million singer songwriters. They're playing acoustic totally. guitars. It used to be like you'd, someone played acoustic guitar at like a coffee shop or something, but it became a regular staple of these like rock venues because everyone, including myself, was doing that. Then it's like I had a little solo thing on the side of Chris and I's band, and I would do this kind of stuff, um, and that kind of opened that up. And so yeah, you're right. They've been flooded with that. Not to mention like John Mayer's first album comes out a couple months after this one does. So. That kind of kicks off. That guy's the whole, pretty good. Yeah, but I mean that does that does kick off a lot of like acoustic yep. guitar toting solo things. That was kind of a that was kind of in that was not a thing in the nineties. Like the like the solo guy was not like we were no. bands. Like everyone was in right. a band in the night, and including like Dave Grohl <laughs> was Foo Fighters. It was it yep. was all Dave Grohl. It was essentially the same thing as Dashboard, but like you couldn't you couldn't come up with a solo record in the nineties. I mean I can't think of a guy that had that like. Well, I mean, there were there were some solo, but like there were most yeah, of them get, were remnants I see, from the I understand the 80s. what you're getting at. You see what I'm yes. saying? Yes, yes. So, that, that's why I was, was going to say the same thing. I bet we could name a lot of solo artists from the '80s that records. Uh, careers yes, continued like in the 90s. you know John Cougar Mellencamp or John Mellencamp <laughs> and like so John, whatever his name is and you know some of these people from the 70s and 80s were like continuing in the 90s but there weren't a lot of original male no there were a lot of female you know you had a lot of like the Sarah McLaughlin and, and that crowd of like female solo artists but the male solo you're, you're artists Lilith, you're thing. Lilith Fair Stars yeah yeah Jewel. you know Jewel you had those kind of things but it was less of the guys and and so that that's what kicks off in like 2000 2001 and so you're right it would it would probably feel like yeah this feels like a lot of stuff right now but it was um when you're kind of the first or early in that it you don't get the credit maybe for someone that listens to it 20 years later have we talked about the fact like that he was going on playing on these tours like can you imagine like opening before like dashboard confessional became an idea like the the idea that somebody would sit there with an acoustic guitar and open for h2o or right. alkaline trio yeah <laughs> just yeah. him it's and his guitar very strange like that would scare the crap out of me to but go it's yeah, almost like scary. i think that's what got people into it was that it was like it was kind of a that's the punk thing. rock element though because yeah. it was almost like yeah. the back like backwards punk rock like right. i'm gonna break this all the way down and be unplugged and show you guys that i can wail 
and and that should be brought up too. It's like he's the first person to do M- MTV Unplugged without a gold selling record. So oh, at wow. the time didn't they bring it that, back for him? Like it hadn't. Yeah, it, it was, it was called like MTV Plugged, um, whatever 2.0 or something like that. It was a it was a new version of Unplugged because it hadn't happened for I don't know four years or something like that before then. Um, and yeah, he's the first one that wasn't didn't have a gold record when they did it. And, uh, and so, uh, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Cause the unplugs before this were like Nirvana, uh, Aerosmith, uh, yeah, those Eric guys are Clapton. Big. I mean, the Eric Clapton yeah. unplugged sold a million copies itself. Uh, you know, it was all these like super huge artists that were doing unplugged. Man, and the nineties so were brought it back. weird. Isn't that you weird? Would, you watch MTV and then all of a sudden like this old guy's on unplugged and everyone loves it and he plays everyone Layla and you're it. like. What what happened? That whole decade was just a freaking crap show. I loved Unplugged when people oh, no, like when people would change, especially like what I liked about it before Dashboard was like the you know that Eric Clapton one is like all those songs are completely different. They're like not right. they're like a totally new thing. And even Nirvana's thing was a cool like oh we're playing this different stuff. You know the the thing that was kind of weird about Dashboard is that he was already unplugged. You know, it's like well he's already an acoustic guy, so this is really <laughs> this is the normal thing for Dashboard. But it was just interesting that that was MTV's idea. It was like we could do unplugged with him because he plays an acoustic guitar. Um, I don't know. I just imagine that's exactly what happened. Like the light bulb went off, and uh, so that was always a little weird to me. I was like, no, this is just this is him. This is normal Dashboard. This is not Dashboard unplugged. But uh, that was always kind of interesting. Uh, what about is it their best album? either of you may go and i have no idea how to answer that question that's really interesting i, I hadn't thought about this question in advance well um, uh we ask it on every show chris <laughs> no i know <laughs> well I, no but i usually think about like how i'm gonna answer it and i hadn't this Me time too. And so I, I feel like the on the spot like you're getting I'll my go. raw my i'll raw go and feelings. let you think for a second if you want to I, I say no it is not his best album i think it's uh the follow-up to this i think it's a mark emission brain of scar i think that I, is... okay i'm gonna be honest that's the that, that that is the thought that popped into my head immediately like when i thought yeah. about it like if i was gonna take my raw thought it was no the next record is the is the best song for song element yeah, and I, but this but this one's important doesn't make, make it the best oh yeah 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 i think it is yeah so we normally ask those in tandem i think yeah, yeah this is the important one uh, mark mission brand the scar is the better one um because i think they just got better as a band and he got better as a songwriter and they had no offense to john paul weiser who did these three records that we love but uh gil norton is a better producer than he is and so yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he, you know he's, he's worked with records. the pixies and uh he did color in the shape speaking of foo fighters and he did counting crows recovering the satellites and he's kind of a guitar sound legend uh for sure so if you're gonna go electric have gil norton do it that's a pretty good co- oh he did uh futures yeah too so that's another pretty big one gil norton did so uh yeah i i i think it's the, the follow-up kyle do you have an opinion I, I completely agree. Like, yeah. it, it, as far as nostalgia goes, you know, I really love this album. But like, yes, most important album. You could argue that that's this. A Mark Mission, a Brand of Scar is their best album. He ends it right too. Yep, well, I'm sure we'll do that. <laughs> sticks the landing. Just, uh, nice. He sticks the landing real well. Uh, Desert Island songs. Two or three of your favorites, Kyle. Ooh, um, let's go. Man, I'm gonna be basic. Uh, I'm gonna do "Screaming Infidelities" and the places you have come to fear the most, and I'll go. (sighs) 
I'm going to go the brilliant dance. Okay. I'm going to go with the opener. Chris, two or three. Brilliant dance. Again, I go unnoticed. Place you've come for the most. Uh, I think I'm kind of the middle uh, ones. I think I'm going Saints and Sailors, The Good Fight, and Again, I Go Unnoticed. I just really like the middle of this album. Those mm. three songs are really, really good. Uh, Grower Not a Shower, do you guys have one that you uh, maybe didn't like at first that uh, you appreciate more now? Nah. No. I think... Uh, <laughs> it all showed. Yeah, yeah, it did. It really, it really, none Kinda of it. Did. First of all, it doesn't have time. I mean, it's like yeah. all these songs are two and a half minutes long. Like they're getting to the point. There's no like weird instrumental part or something like that. I mean, right. like he's getting to the hook. He's got hooks absorb. in every verse yeah. and chorus and stuff like that. There's not. He's not being subtle. Is not the right word. But you know, like he's got great hooks in all these songs. Yeah, they're they're good. I mean, uh, even the slow ones have good melodies and stuff. I think I agree. I don't think there was anything that was like. Um, and not to mention, you didn't have to skip songs. It's 29 minutes long. I mean, it's such a short album, so uh, quick to get through. Um, yeah, so I'm sure we'll do the other Dashboard records uh, on here at some point, too, and talk more about it. But, I mean, obviously, Dashboard's influence on this genre is huge. You know, as mm-hmm. far as Chris Grava really, like, hard-on-your-sleeve sort of lyrics and um, and sort of raw realness for lack of a better way to describe that. I feel like was everyone imitated after this. So it's certainly super important. And he did, um, you know, just like everyone was imitating him, even if they were in rock bands or so. I mean, I just feel like every, like I said, it was, it was a huge thing in 2001. I remember. So my other funny dashboard story is like, I'm in high school. I figured out I love dashboard, blah, blah, blah. And my, um, and unbeknownst to me, he is dating a former schoolmate of, of Chris and I's and her, her mom worked at the school. And so she like, she's my choir teacher or whatever. And we're talking one day and she knows I'm a musician. So she's just kind of making conversations. She was like, well, you remember my daughter? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And like, well, like she's dating a musician and I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. And I just think this is conversation that's or neat. whatever. And she's just so casual about it. Yeah, like, I guess he's been doing pretty well. He was on Conan O'Brien the other day. I was like, wait, wait, hold on. He was on Conan <laughs> O'Brien's show? And she was like, yeah, his name's Chris Caraba. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It's <laughs> <was> like, yeah, <laughs> he's really very good. Yeah, you don't, like, you know, it's just like a sweet mom that, like, had no real idea, like, that her, her daughter's basically dating, like, this huge rock star or whatever at the time. Um, hey, so. I meant to ask you guys, have either of you listened to Twin Forks? Yeah, it's great. Bit. It's, it like is it. great. And like uh, okay, so His, uh, I recommend kind of band. Yeah, I I highly recommend the first EP he put out because I think it was kind of another th- he kind of did the exact same thing in that like yeah, people were doing Americana and folk, but like he put his own twist on it and it man, it was a freaking solid effort, like really good. It's also interesting because, you know, listening to him talk about his guitar influences, mm-hmm. you hear more of that on that kind of record, on that yeah. Twin Fork stuff, than you actually do on this Dashboard stuff. But it's yeah. kind of where you can see, like, oh, I see where Dashboard was born out of, if you liked this kind of music, which I thought was also well, an interesting. It's like, it's clear, like, he likes that genre. I also you know, think it's cool Americana. because it, it, it even shows that, like, I'm not saying that he's not playing the guitar excellent on on this dashboard stuff he is 
But like you could argue at times that maybe he's playing simplified and it's not because he can't play. No. It's be- it's because that's what he wants to be playing. Yeah, he's a good guitarist for sure. And you so. can tell that by, like I said, watching him play that kind of stuff or mm-hmm. listening to him talk on those rig rundowns, like he knows stuff. And uh, and uh, I like his, uh, I just watched last week his um, pass-through frequencies with Jim Atkins, which is really good too because they talk a lot about how they write songs and stuff like that. And it was really interesting to hear uh, some of that kind of process stuff. And he's an interesting guy, man. He's uh and he's certainly very creative. He's been creative for a long time with uh, dashboard and like twin forks and other stuff. And, uh, he seems like he's just down to be a musician. Like he shows up on all these, like, uh, like he's on that, um, uh, Rustin Kelly emo cover out thing. Yeah. He like does screaming infidelities with him. Um, and I heard him on another track that was like that. It was another cover of a dashboard song and he shows up in the verse of it or whatever. And, uh, it's cool. Like, he just like, he clearly enjoys being a musician. It's like, not no, yeah. And he, he never like, got, really likes doing it. He never like bought into his own hype. I never felt like, like he was always very like, just yeah, aware he, of like how cool it was that he had made it. And I don't know, man, he, he has he, a very down to earth feel. He clearly takes songwriting very seriously. Like he wants to write the best song he can, but he doesn't, yeah. but that doesn't mean he's taking himself seriously i think i feel like because i mean i think that's part of that show thing is what felt so cool about it is that he was like no this is like as much about you all singing these songs as me it wasn't well, do you, you know uh, do you remember the we so me and blake's band um uh, our band we we uh, opened for him um the night before the iphone came out i remember because it was i do too yeah so um but i remember uh the driver couldn't find him at the airport and i remember hearing uh dashboard's manager on the phone yelling he's like He's five foot five and covered in tattoos. Are there a lot of people at the Oklahoma airport that look like that? Find it. <laughs> but like, I yeah, remember it's 2008. When, there are a lot of people yeah, that look like that. Actually, but. I, I remember when Chris got to the show though. He he wasn't. He just did not. He wasn't upset that no one could find him at the airport in the rain. Like he did not care one bit. He just hung out and talked, and he just seemed like the most down to earth guy. Like a really, no, he was really super great. And, and then and then he got on stage and played some song from the So Impossible EP, which is about this girl we were talking about. And he was like, hey, this is about uh, this is about this girl I dated that the other guys that opened for us went to high school with. He was like, but I win because I got to make out with her. <laughs> we were like, touche, touche, Chris. Uh, well, with that, thanks for listening. And again, if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a, you know, glowing retune, uh, glowing retune review retune. on iTunes. I can't talk tonight. I'm sorry. Um, and also our next episode, by the way, is going to be a very special episode. Mm. Uh, it won't come out on a Tuesday. It'll probably come out on a Friday because we're going to do a mixtape jams, uh, episode for Valentine's day. We're stoked. You guys, we're really, the idea will be, we're going to like each pick a few songs that we would put on a mixtape for our ladies back in the early two thousands. And, uh, we'll make the playlist on Apple music and Spotify and share it. So you can take your significant other out uh, on a date and yeah. you can use this as background for your valentine's day date yeah if we, that works. She, not the podcast she will... don't put that on the background the, no, the no, playlist the is what you're going to yeah. play but you can yeah, hear she us will talk fall about why we, yeah you can hear us talk about why we like the song so uh, look for that probably uh on the friday before valentine's day so we'll do that one next and then we'll do we'll get back into the doing normal albums so uh, if you have any great mixtape jams feel free to send them to us uh, info at finding emo pod or on any of the social medias at uh, Finding Emo Pod. Uh, But that is it for this time. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.